How do you measure value? Is it money? Utility? Better yet, is it trust? As world leaders gather this November for the COP26 conference in Glasgow, business leaders are waking up to what sustainability and climate change means for the future of their businesses. And no matter what your industry, having a solid climate plan will only become more important with time. From disclosure and regulation to investment strategies and C-suite compensation, climate concerns are getting worked into all organizational levels. Much like cybersecurity, it's no longer a fringe factor or relegated to a special department. It's everywhere. And the technologies to measure the results of these strategies and measure value are getting much more sophisticated. Our planet's climate is changing at an alarming rate. So what are organizations changing in return? How are Canadian business leaders becoming more ambitious about getting to net zero? And why is trust one of our biggest factors of all? I'm Kira Johnston, and you're listening to the third episode of Beyond the Bounce, a mini-series from the Conference Board of Canada and PwC. Our guests today are Shelley Gilberg, ESG Markets and Consulting Leader, and Sarah Marsh, Partner, National ESG Report and Assurance Leader at PwC Canada. And we're going to talk about getting to net zero. Shelley, Sarah, welcome to Beyond the Bounce, and thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having us, Kira. We're delighted to be here. Yeah, very excited to get on with this today. PwC launched its annual global CEO survey results in January 2021. And at that time, climate change was pretty low on the priority list for most CEOs. After almost a year, how has that changed? Kira, what I would say is fascinating on this front is in the space of literally eight months, it's changed a lot. We initially surveyed those folks last fall, published the results in January. And over the intervening eight months, even the last three months, I've probably personally had 100 client conversations. And while there's a range of maturity and ambition around climate change and ESG, it's definitely changing. We have clients that are seeing it as much more than just regulatory or reporting issues. We have clients that are looking at it as a competitive differentiator, as a talent attractor, as an attractor of capital. Investors, even non-institutional investors are focusing here. Employees and customers are framing this. What's really exciting for me and for us personally is seeing that they are actually really making it a priority, much more so than the same time last year. What's causing leaders to focus more on the environment now? I think it's fair to say that investors have really been pushing hard for more information, particularly on the financial implications of climate change for a while. And that really ramped up over the last year, as Shelley alluded to. And this time last year, we had the institutional investors stepped up and they actually called for disclosure using that task force for climate-related financial disclosures, partly because I think they recognized the risks of climate change hadn't really been well understood and weren't really factored into a company's enterprise value. What we've then seen, of course, is then that knock-on to the regulators. So the regulators are taking a lot of notice right now. And in fact, just recently, we've seen you know the Canadian regulator, the securities regulator, as well as the SEC in the US, working on disclosure requirements for companies. And that's obviously going to drive improvement in the quality of the information that that companies are putting out there. Leaders are recognizing that this is a global priority and Canada has to be part of it. I think we're going to see a lot of ambition, targets and progress over the next while on this topic. Supporting that, Sarah, if we look over the same time period, there was a flurry of announcements about what people were going to do about net zero. 
we're starting to see from a PwC perspective, but also from a market's perspective, that progress is mattering more than the public commitments. As we start to roll the calendar year over and rip off the page and head for 2022, over that same time horizon, what we've seen is that you know people are needing to tie their ambitions with broader business decisions, with capital allocation, with employee engagement. And, and I would say different drivers and different stakeholder groups sort of pushing on this, depending on what sector you're in. But every sector and every industry and every organization is facing that, whether it's from within or it's from without, from investors or consumers, slightly different flavor of drivers, but really that desire for stakeholders to understand what's being done and why does that matter and showing progress has really been the big shift. What are some things you're seeing leading companies do in this space? Companies that are doing this well, they're recognizing this is all about really creating and then maintaining that trust. Companies have got a major role to play, as we've been talking about, with all that's happening. But interestingly, the social license to operate is actually harder to maintain than ever. Whether that is net zeros we're talking about here or even broader ESG factors, what we're seeing leading companies do is really embed those in corporate strategy. If you ask me two to three years ago who I was having our conversations with when we're going out and talking about sustainability, it was almost always with the sustainability officer or somebody at that level. Those are now happening at the C-suite and the board level because what's being recognized is that real need to embed this into strategy. What we're seeing is things like the board and the exec really aligning on ambition. They're focused on things like the ESG risks and opportunities. They're the ones having the conversations looking at those key targets and then making sure that there's alignment across the organization. Some of the good examples that we're seeing is exec comp, for instance, really being tied to ESG performance so that you can get those changes needed driven into the organization. And then maybe just a little bit on climate change. There's an increased sophistication and understanding at all levels and a recognition that it's not just enough to focus on your organizational boundaries. What we're really seeing is a focus on total footprint. Leading organizations are no longer sort of saying, yeah, it's enough to just work out my scope one and two emissions and know what we're doing within our organization. They're recognizing that we need change outside of your own boundaries. We need everybody to be making this change and that they can have a real role to play if they can influence both the upstream and downstream emissions for those organizations. That's the kind of leadership we're seeing where things like banks are looking at their financed emissions, for instance, and realizing that they can really drive change if they lead from that point. For a while, environmental initiatives focused on individual responsibility as consumers or customers. But to achieve carbon reduction targets, we need to change more than just the individual mindsets. We need better tools at the corporate level, of course. How has new technology been helping companies set these goals? I'll answer this one first from a reporting perspective, and then Shelley kind of gives that broader perspective. From that ESG reporting perspective, what we're seeing is the demand for investor-grade reporting. That means rigorous controls and processes that you need to support your regular reporting. That's driving the demand right now for technology solutions. Scared to say that even today, the mighty spreadsheet is all too often used as the solution for ESG reporting. And what you saw was as a result of that, ESG reporting would significantly lag your financial reporting, often coming out six months later. And then even again, if you dived into that, you'd realize the information there was actually a year out of date. The other thing that was fairly regular as well that we saw in the reporting space was it's actually fairly regular for restatements of information, which is a big deal in financial reporting, and it wasn't a big deal in ESG reporting. 
As a result of all those trends, companies are realizing that they need to invest in those ESG reporting solutions. That could be modules built into your ERP systems. It could be dashboarding. More and more investment in real-time reporting so that companies can actually meaningfully report out on their progress against those targets that they've set. And it really becomes part of their day-to-day business decision-making. Adding on to that, Sarah's alluded to the reporting side of this. There's two other dimensions to how technology helps Canada and helps Canadian companies achieve this net zero ambition. One is the climate-specific, tech-specific ESG software. Sarah talked about some of the large enterprise software providers that are releasing reporting modules that go with financial systems. We're seeing things like sustainability clouds being released that will help organizations marshal the resources. But the other dimension of how technology is going to help is the investment in R&D and the scaling of technologies that are going to allow Canada and companies to take advantage of greener power. And what I mean by that are things like advancements in carbon capture use and storage. Where does hydrogen play a role? How do you store and distribute renewable power differently? How do you predict and then also influence demand? Those are large-scale orchestrations that are required, but fundamentally underneath that, those investments in technology and energy infrastructure are required for Canada and for Canadian companies to manage this transition in, uh, I don't want to use the word safe, but to manage this transition thoughtfully and in a planned way so that large companies know where to invest. Small companies understand the places that they can fill gaps and play in the marketplace. And big consumers of energy are able to plan what is a logical transition path for me. Where do I get energy from? How do I actually sort of transform my business? While using these systems and reporting tools specifically, how do you then measure success? Well, Kira, I would say some of it's about the tools, but I will take your question one level higher about how do I really think we measure success? And I think it's about sustained outcomes. And I think it's how do we break down the major ambition and start to look at it literally quarter by quarter between now and 2030, between now and 2050, and make sure we're moving towards that. When I look at what we needed to achieve as a globe last year for decarbonization, we missed it by a mile, despite a lot of people not traveling, many, many, many things happening. If we are going to achieve the shorter term objectives that are gonna help us actually make a 2050 transition, Measuring success needs to happen on the basis of are we doing the right things, not a laundry list, and are we measuring them at frequent enough intervals in the right level of granularity and supported by evidence and science that tell us we're getting where we need to go. There's a lot to do around net zero, but what are the most impactful things companies and organizations can do when it comes to reducing emissions? Whether it's net zero or it could be your other top ESG issues that you're dealing with, the key thing it comes down to is articulating your ambition, the targets that you then set, and then the strategy that you're going to use to get there. There's leading initiatives that are out there, things like the science-based targets initiative. There's guidance out there on how to make sure that those targets really are meaningful. Companies should take advantage of that guidance. The key is that climate and many of the issues that, you know, they don't stop at your boundaries. If you're going to have the most meaningful impact, companies really need both to solve their own scope one and scope two emissions, but they really need to recognize their role in those scope three emissions, upstream and downstream emissions, and then work out the targets that they're going to put in place to reduce those. 
I might tackle this in three buckets, Kira, in terms of if we think about large emitters, we think about the investment community, and then we think about an overarching call to action or opportunity for all organizations to take some action. And so in that first bucket, if we look at our largest sources of emissions in Canada and those organizations and companies, and I'm talking sources of emissions versus sort of large consumers. I would say, so energy power and utilities, transportation, logistics, agriculture, real estate companies, focusing investment around greener power, supply chain rationalization, implementing alternatives that allow for greener movement of goods, taking advantage of some of the funding that quite frankly is hitting the market for greener buildings in transition, looking at leveraging government programs and private sector capital that's being brought to bear around some of these transitions would be a basket of opportunities for our larger emitters. If I think about the investment community as a really powerful community in this transition and in the Canadian economy, I am thrilled to see the search in renewable funds, sustainable finance, impact funds, and what I would say some really serious portfolio review and target setting across all the different players in our investment community in Canada. You know, it's not my place to say whether divesting of fossil fuels versus engaging with companies and investees is the right answer for any particular organization. But for the investment community, I would say three things that can help move us forward. One is we need to move beyond exclusionary screening on carbon and ESG issues and actually increase the capital that's flowing from thematic and future-focused investments around climate change and net zero. The second would be to encourage our investment community to look at how balanced their portfolios are between financed emissions and the investments they're making that support transition, greener infrastructure, and new technologies that are going to help us drive towards net zero. For companies that may not be large emitters, as Sarah alluded to in Scope 1 or Scope 2, we're seeing that the war for talent and the war for customers still says this matters, even if you're not a large emitter. Understanding your operations, your supply chain, looking at where you can improve can help drive the change and help you attract talent and customers and drive down operating expenses in some cases at the same time. Lastly, in terms of a call to action that we can all look at, how does it apply to our organizations, regardless of who we are, is a thought from Mark Carney. A few weeks ago, he said there's two things every organization can do, which will help drive pace and price this transition. One is buy green power. Two is electrify wherever possible. Those things don't all happen overnight, particularly electrifying the entire world, but those two actions will drive the macroeconomic and market forces that are really going to help us power the long-term change that Canada needs to drive to net zero. Shelley, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an incredibly insightful conversation and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. It was a real pleasure to be here. Delighted to join you today, Kira. Thank you. You can access the full results from PwC's 24th Annual Canadian CEO Survey and the Global Digital Trust Insights Survey by following the links in the episode description. And as always, discover the Conference Board of Canada's research and insights at conferenceboard.ca. Beyond the Bounce is brought to you by the Conference Board of Canada and PwC. It's hosted by Kira Johnston and written by Sarah Mills. Our executive producer is Michael Bassett. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of PwC or the conference board. 
For more research, podcasts, commentary, and ideas on Canada's most pressing issues, visit conferenceboard.ca.